world of horror podcast. You're invited to my party, where so far the ghosts have murdered only seven people. We have painted a bloody picture, but it is only a small part of what actually takes place. journey into a world where nightmare becomes reality. Hey, Dave. Dave, are you there? Hello? Huh, I guess Dave's not there. Well... I'm gonna have to try to figure out someone else hey, to talk. Andy, hey Andy, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey it's Jamie. Uh, hey Jamie, what's up? Hey, uh, I know a cool movie we could talk about. Oh yeah, what's that? The Devil's Reign. Oh wow, if, Dave. If if, if we're, we love you, we're thinking about you, but let's just talk about it without him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's. Uh... He's uh, wrestling with his allergies this uh, right now, so he wasn't able to join us. But yeah, um, yeah, no, this is going to be a good conversation. We're going to talk about the Devil's Reign from 1975. Yeah, baby, directed yeah. by Robert Fust. Faust, Fust, yeah. Fust, Starter. I, I don't know. <laughs> and he's uh, he's not a, a newcomer to horror, is he? No, not at all. He did a couple of my favorite Vincent Price films of all time, The Abominable Dr. Fives in 71 and Dr. Five Rises Again in 72. Love both of those films. And then he did this one a few years later in 75. Yeah, you know, uh, Confession Time, I have not seen any of the, either of the Dr. Fives movies. Oh, you should rectify that because yeah. Vincent Price is at his priciest in these films. He is incredible. <laughs> Yeah, no, they look great. I just haven't gotten around to them. And they're, and they're they were both done in the seventies, right? Yes, yes, yeah, the very okay. beginning of the seventies. And uh, it's really great stories about uh, Doctor Anton Fibes who loses his wife, and how he brings up um, the different ways of killing the people who he feels were responsible for him, all while the police are trying to uh, home in on him. Uh, really great scenes, really great makeup. Um, it's definitely worth a watch. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to track those down. So, you know, he went from that, you know, basically the classic movies to, and then he kind of did, and he's done some other things, but he did this one, The Devil's Reign, which I think people, I don't know if too many people are actually aware of this movie. I think it, it's not, it's definitely not like in the mainstream of, of like 70s horror, but it's definitely one that stands out. And when you, when you go looking for, those like 70s like satanic horror movies um which i'm kind of fond of i like those kind of movies i don't know there's something about the 70s like they just had when they had you know they kind of started doing these movies about you know satan worshiping and stuff like that they just had a really eerie kind of cool feel to them i don't know yes and one thing yeah one thing that probably contributed to the feel was they actually had anton Levey as the mm-hmm quote-unquote technical advisor on this movie i thought that was an interesting touch <laughs> right right the founder of the church of satan and his own levee satanism uh and he had a little cameo in there too so got him some screen oh, time 
Yeah. He was yeah. the guy with the gold helmet on, wasn't he? Exactly. Yeah. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah, it really lent a, a real uh, authenticate, authentic, authentic feel to the movie, um, especially the the costumes, especially uh, Ernst Borgnine's costume. Man, it was uh, it really felt uh, really true, you know, and. Uh, not that I know what Satanists are really like. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah, some of the, those rituals and stuff they're doing, I'm sure that that was, I'm sh- who knows what Anton LaVey did, you know, when he was with the Church of Satan. But yeah, it's always kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, speaking of the cast, I mean, this has a really great cast. You know, you got Ernest Borgnine, like you said, you got Tom Skerritt, you've got uh, Ida Lupino, or Lupine, Ida Lupine. Ida and, um, William Shatner, the Shat, yeah, Shat, and uh, I think you even have like a little cameo, pretty much a uh, from uh, a little known actor at the time called John Travolta. Right, right, and don't forget Eddie Albert. Eddie and Albert, oh, one yeah. of my favorites, uh, Keenan Wynn as the sheriff. Um, as a child of the seventies, I know I'm older than you. I was actually born in May of 1970. So I got pretty much the full experience of the seventies, but, uh, Keenan was, uh, he's the winter warlock in Santa Claus is coming to town. And then he was in some of those great movies like Herbie rides again. And, um, the shaggy DA, I think, um, just always turns in a, a great memorable performance. Um, and then of course you've, uh, you know, you've got Gene Prather in there who growing up, I watched eight is enough. And she's in that too. She plays Julie, the, uh, the wife of Tom, which I guess was pretty easy for Tom Scarrett to remember as his character was Tom Preston. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Thinking about, you know, John Travolta, were you able to pick out which person he was in that movie? Yeah. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, this, from what I understood, this was filmed right when uh, Welcome Back Kata was fixing to come on. So those both came right about the same time. So he is the guy who uh, Tom and Julie end up fighting with in the hotel. Uh, and he, okay. he, he's also the guy that screams, Blasphemer! Blasphemer! at the uh, the second one. And he's the one who finds the book. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that makes it, sense. Yeah, if you look really close uh, in the the one where he's got the book, you can really see the John Travolta features to it. But man, those black eyes just take everybody and and, and turn them into someone else, you know? Uh, oh man, yeah. Though the the look of the minions was really creepy. I thought yeah, it was, it was, and I loved Ernest Borgnine in this film. I mean, you know, he's been cabby from Escape from New York. Uh, you know, he was in the Poseidon Adventure, which I think you and Dave talked about, or Dave and someone talked Dave, about. It might have been Dave and Evan, maybe. Dave and Evan, okay. And then, of course, he was in Airwolf, which I love. But in this wow. one, man, uh, he is so damn creepy. And then when he turns into the the Lord Satan Ram guy head thing, you know, it's uh ooh, he put in a really good performance. Definitely. I mean, cause when you first see him on screen, he he just looks like a normal guy. He's not wearing his he's not wearing his gowns or his robes, but you know, he still has this air about him, this this kind of creepy, like sinister air to him. Like, you know, there's right. something more to this guy. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, yeah, especially when he's doing his, he's in full regalia, you know, he's uh, got his robes on and he's doing the, the chanting of the, the rituals, man, it was, it was really creepy, yeah. really cool. He was uh, really good. I, I thought he turned into an excellent performance because he really sold it. I mean, he wasn't being hammy. I mean, I love Shatner, but you know, Shatner can be Shatner, but I mean, here's this guy who's playing basically like four different roles because he does play Corbis at the beginning. Like you just said, he's, he's just like a rancher basically. And then he becomes the priest and then he becomes the pilgrim. And then he becomes like the Lord of darkness or whatever, you know? So at each one of them, he gave a slightly different play to. So I, I really thought he did a great job in this. Yeah. And, uh, I, I was, I was thinking that, you know, like William Shatner, he was he would didn't play as big of a part as I thought he would. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Skerritt was like during the first act. I think you know it was it was William Shatner's show. He kind of took the lead in the first act, but then once things kind of took a turn, it was more of Tom Skerritt that kind of took the lead of everything. And and I, and I don't know. I mean, it, I think I think Tom Skerritt did a good job being the the lead guy in this in this movie. Well, what did you think of Tom? Oh, no, I thought he, he turned in a great performance. You know, uh, I grew up, you know, watching him on Alien and then Top Gun, you know, and he's always put in, you know, great performances. And in this one, I, I did think he did a very good job. Uh, I will say that that I, I can't compare it to, to Ernie. I mean, Ernie's put in such an incredible one to this. But but Scared sold it. And uh, at the end there, when he's fighting for Julie, you really kind of felt that, you know, connection with him. And uh, I thought he did a wonderful job. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I guess for people that may not know, we'll, we'll, I'll just give like a, a brief kind of plot explanation of this movie. It, it does kind of have... Is that a, possible? Because yeah, this movie is kinda, all over the place. <laughs> it does. It has kind of a crazy plot. And if and if you, and at the beginning, you're just like in the middle of it. You're in the middle of things like from the very beginning so it's kind of interesting um okay so you have a family that has been charged with protecting us a book like an old book from corvus who is Ernest borgnine's character and he's this uh satanic cult leader basically and he's always he's like after this book because this book will give him power uh, if he if he claims the book but i guess but Ernest borgnine he actually was a like you said, he was like a pilgrim and like whenever pilgrims around, I don't know. It was, it, it was around 1680 with yeah. this, when that part of the movie took place. Exactly. So, and he was this, he was like a coal eater back then as well. You know, of course, back then in those times, it would be even, you know, they had a lot more drastic punishments for devil worshiping back then, as right. you see in the movie. Cause once they find out that who he is, what he is and what he's doing, they, they actually like, uh, put you know burn him at the stake right and he you know and then he like says he's going to come back or whatever but they use it they just kind of explain this during like a flashback so it's kind of a weird so you have that whole thing going on with his you know his character trying to get the book and um and they so so with with this family that's protecting the book you have the father which we really don't see that much um he kind of gets kidnapped or he goes missing at the beginning of the movie you have Ida Lupine, which is the mother, and then you have William Shatner and Tom Skerritt, which are the brothers of the of the family, the the two kids of the family, I guess. Right. And so at the be- very beginning, you just have William Shatner and his mother. They're trying to figure out what to do because the fathers went missing, and they know that Corbus. They suspect that Corbus has something to do, but they're not really sure. 
And then they actually, you know, see what looks like their father come approach them from, uh, you know, come home. But this guy's like missing his eyes and he tells mm-hmm. them that Corbus is waiting for the book at this location. Red like stone. Actually, yeah. <laughs> it's actually like a, a ghost town that's nearby their house, which I thought was a really cool setting yes. for this movie. It's like a, basically to describe it, it's like a, it's like a old Western town, but like abandoned. Right. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was reading uh, Roger Ebert's review of this movie, and he talks about this. This he he felt like this should have been like a high plains drifter type movie, like a western, because of the setting in that old ghost town, and mm-hmm. it looks like a western. But then they try to put this like satanic cult movie like in it. But I actually like I actually really like the setting. What do you think of the setting, oh. Jamie? Oh, no, I love the setting, especially that church, because it did seem, um, and I think Julie maybe makes a mention of it, it how, how it looks like it's a New England church, and they're smack in the middle of Texas, uh, which they actually, I don't believe, ever say in the movie, but a couple of the cars have Texas license plates, including the sheriff, and so that's where I'm, that's where I'm guessing it's set. So it, it, was, it was very cool to see that. Uh, and then when you get in like the hotel scene, when they're fighting the John Travolta character, it does look exactly like an old saloon slash hotel. Um, it, like it's been there, you know, abandoned since the wild west type feel to it, but thought it was a, thought it was a perfect setting for all this to happen. Yeah. Um, one thing that, one thing that struck me right at the very beginning during the opening credits was they were having, they were showing all those paintings in the background. Oh yeah. The and, uh, paintings. Yeah, the Bosch paintings. I was oh, those are really cool. I I thought that was a really cool touch because his his work is always kind of interesting to me, and it has this really these horrific images, and uh, you know, so I think that was a good addition to the uh, to the to the movie itself. Um, oh, I agree. It set exactly up what this is what you're going to be getting into. Yeah, like you said, the church. I love the church, I, and I especially loved how on the inside, uh, you know, the way that you know the production design was really cool. Um, you know, they had like the pentagrams and all these different symbols and stuff everywhere. But I thought what was interesting was within the church, like from the outside, it looks like this kind of small building. But when you get inside, it seems like it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. I agree with you. I know I said I felt that same thing because it does look like there's only enough room for like two pews on each side. But when you get in, it seems to be taller on the inside than it is. It seems to be deeper than it is. And as we know, there's something in there like a a deep pit or a well or something. So it almost feels like there might be a basement to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that church was definitely a cool, uh, set. You know, I, I got to props to the production design people. Cause they, you know, they really did well with this. And, you know, even with like the special effects, I thought the special effects were great. Like you got the, uh, the, you know, Ernest Borgnine's minions, the like, mm-hmm. people with cloaks, but then they had, they're missing their eyes, I guess. They're just like these black, you know, it's, it's, really creepy i don't something about people without eyes are just really i've always really <laughs> creeped me out you know ever since i was a kid yeah um, well there's yeah. something about looking someone in the eye i mean they, they do call it the the window to the soul and so you could see so much from eye contact you know if you're not looking someone straight in the eye well then maybe you feel they're not paying attention to you or you know but if it's all black you don't know what to do uh, yeah, that goes back to Tom Berman, uh, who was uh, in charge of the special effects for that movie, uh, which is it's interesting because um, he went on to do Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which kind of has melting pod people in it. He did Halloween 3, 
which when the kids put the mask on, their heads kind of, you know, melt away. So he, he, he got a, a lot of melting going on there. Uh, he's also did a, a film that you've probably never seen called The Hand uh, with Michael Caine. It's about a comic book artist who has his hand severed uh, in a car accident, uh, and the hand um, makes its way back to him. Uh, very, very cool, very cool movie. Uh, but anyway, Tom's got some. I, I watched one of the special features, and he talks about all of the whack and everything that they used, and uh, it was kind of tricky, especially because you see so much of it on camera. There's no CGI in this movie. I mean, when this stuff is pumping the wax, it's coming off of the actors. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you get that one scene at, at the very beginning where the guy kind of melts. I thought that was really well done, and it, that that guy actually looked like something from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I think the mm-hmm. the way that he he kind of looked when he started melting, he was like, oh, that looks like a pod person. Yeah. Uh, but you kind of have that. You kind of have that body snatcher element in this movie because whenever Corbus, like, he'll capture somebody and then, like, he'll trap their soul in his... He's got this little soul jar that he kind of keeps all the souls in that of his followers. But once he once he takes their soul, like, that's that's when their eyes go black. And right. uh, and so it's just kind of like this, like it's a minion where it look kind of looks, it looks like the person they used to be, but it's not really that person anymore. Yeah. So it was really creepy because uh, William Shatner's mother actually got taken and turned into one a minion, and she, there's a few scenes where she is she like uh, she talks to William Shatner after she's been turned, and she's like talking to him and it's just really creeping him at like it really uh it gets to him seeing his mom like this and even tom scared too yeah. whenever he sees her he's like oh he like freaks out so i think that was an interesting element i love i love the body snatcher element of this movie um yeah and then the melting scenes they did a really good job with that especially at the end you know it was just like a mass you know scene of just like everybody melting and then and then you have Ernest Borgnine uh, when he be- actually becomes the devil or a goat. What you know that he has like the goat head. Right. That, that right. was that was really good too. I that was thought. awesome. I actually have it frozen here on my other screen because it's such great makeup. I mean, you look at it, and it, it's seamless. I mean, and and I, I could not see anything being better on today's standards with today's makeup the way that he looked in this one talk about the plot holes talk about everything else this makeup was on point yeah definitely um well you know um, as a matter of fact talking about that scene at the end uh i don't to jump around but that scene goes on for over nine minutes because i i because <laughs> I, I remember watching it uh, again for the first time i mean again recently before we started doing this and i felt like oh man that seems to go on forever and so this time i did it and it was like nine minutes and 20 seconds and i read somewhere else where the director uh didn't have that scene that long but after the producer sandy howard i think it was um saw it he wanted more melting, so they went back and filmed some other scenes and added it to the end. But everybody melts in the last part. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, it definitely went on for a long. I mean, it went on. It was a, very much an extended scene. I think you know it, they they extended because it feels like they kind of had this build up to that. You know, they this build up to something's going to happen at the end. And uh, 
I don't know. I was trying to make, kind of like piece together the the storyline and try to make sense of like what was the jar, you know, and stuff like that. The jar with the souls and like what like what purpose did the devil's reign actually have and stuff like that. And I and I was kind of writing it down. I think that uh, whenever so you know this is a spoiler podcast, so we're just we're gonna just gonna talk about the movie in depth. We're gonna talk about it. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. But uh, anyway, stream so, it on Amazon. Exactly. Yeah, Amazon Prime has it right now. That's how I watched it. Um, but yeah, so they they the jar was actually destroyed at the end, and that's when the devil's rain started within the church. Like the ceiling like opened up, and all and there, and all the rain started pouring down in the church and outside too. And that's when everybody started melting. But I thought that the so with the jar being destroyed, all, all the trapped souls were free, mm-hmm. and then that in turn, I guess. You know, spelled the demise of the minions because their their souls are free. So he had followers from the past that he uh, that he wrote their names in his book, and that's the book that he was chasing after the Corvus. Uh, that's the book that he was chasing after throughout the whole movie. So he had followers that were written in the, his book, and so I thought, well, were his followers the? I think his followers were the ones actually inhabiting. The bodies of the minions. I, I think you're exactly right. So I think what it was was that when they pledged their souls to Satan, they wrote their own names in that book in blood, and that bound them and their souls to Satan. And I think that the devil's Fabergé egg, because um, <laughs> you know you look at that's what it looked like to be a Fabergé egg with horns. Yeah. Um, I think that's where they kept their souls, and. So when that book got stolen from him by um, Martin Fife's William Shatner's character's wife, Aranessa, she has basically, I guess you would you'd say, the receipt for their souls. And so without the book, even though he has the souls, he can't take that power because they're trapped inside the egg. And once he had the book and the devil's reign, he could release them and, you know, they could cause havoc and stuff on the world. So I kind of think that it was one that he couldn't do that with unless he had both. And that's why it was so important for him to get the book back. And so Aranessa, she had taken the book back in 1680 in that flashback that we saw. um, And she had been passing it down to the women in their in their family and protecting the book and keeping it from people and that's why uh mrs proctor i mean mrs um preston had the book is because she was the last daughter to protect it um and and i I thought it was a very cool effect as well because when you looked at it it really looked like that stuff was going on inside i don't understand why it was a rain you know, instead of them just kind of being free floating in there, but it was a cool effect. And if you if you looked at it, uh, there were those people; they were all in you know the pilgrim garb, so it was it was very true to it. Yeah. And then at the very end, I didn't quite understand what was happening. So you have so Julie, Tom's wife, got kidnapped by the cult, mm-hmm. and like they were going to do some ritual with her, like sacrifice her or put her in the jar or whatever. So they but they rescued her. But then at the very end, like once the church, the church is kind of like burning down. The church kind of exploded once the the people started melting, and Corvus actually fell into the pit where the jar was. It blew um, up. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Once he fell in the pit, everything kind of blew up. So, so you have Tom and his wife Julie, and then the the, the doctor. They're outside the church. You know, they kind of got away, and he starts hugging his wife. But then 
she turns into Corvus. Yeah, I, I, I'm right. I'm with you. And this is this is kind of where the movie fell apart. I mean, there were there were some issues earlier in the movie about things that didn't quite you know pan out, but you can forgive those. But this one, so so. His body is destroyed by, like you said, being pushed down into the pit. The devil's Fabergé egg is destroyed because it released all the souls. But I think what we're trying to take away from it is that before Corbus dies, he has transferred himself into Julie's body. And Julie's body has been pushed out into the devil's reign. But wait a minute. The devil's reign is destroyed. So really, where is she being captured? And it's a cool scene, and it's a nice dark twist at the end, but it doesn't make sense because the vessel we just saw destroyed, you know, 10 minutes before. Um, so I, I think it was one of those things that maybe they just didn't think through or they thought, you know, it's it's a movie. People like us 40 years later aren't going to be tearing it, it through. But I think that's what they were going for was that he was now in her body because he was talking about, uh, you know, and he, he like drew the pentagram on her chest and blood and uh, all of that stuff. I think that's what we we're supposed to take away from it. Uh, and she was really creepy at the very end where the credits roll because the entire time she's there, she's screaming and moaning and trying to get out of the devil's reign. And it's just, you know, it was a it was a great look. It just didn't, you know, fit. Um but still like yeah, it. yeah. No, it was it was it was it was really like sinister ending. Mm-hmm. Um, now was this now when was the first time that you actually saw this movie? I want to say I saw this movie in the the early eighties. Um, I, uh, I I I liked horror movies, but for me, um, it was more of the Kingdom of the Spiders or the Universal Monsters and stuff like that. I didn't get into all of the the more obscure stuff until I was getting around high school. And I was getting a lot of VHS copies and um, stuff like that. Because, of course, there was no internet. You know, you couldn't stream stuff back then. And I remember a friend of mine had a VHS. I think it was a clamshell, if I'm not mistaken. And... Um, we watched it at his house, which was, you know, kind of down the down the road from me. And I remember liking it, but it wasn't until later on when I really started getting into uh, all of this obscure stuff that I started remembering it and then going back and got my own copy of it. And then just recently I bought the uh, the um, Severin from Vinegar copy that's a blu-ray and it's got the two different covers and it has a lot of cool stuff in it so i've rewatched this uh two more times but one of the reasons why this has become a, a favorite of mine is i was at a show you remember comic conventions we used to oh, have yeah. those you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh there was a this great guy who sells posters he was from uh from Chicago and he had an original poster of it and it's a big 36 uh, by 24 and he had this one felt and I got a really good deal on it. And ever since then I've just enjoyed reading, watching I've probably watched it a, I don't know, 10, 12 times now. Uh, I can't tell you why, because it is disjointed and it does kind of jump around, but uh, there's that scene near the end where Shatner, I mean, where, um, Borgnine is in his red robes, but he's still in his human facade. And he gives that devil's, you know, like punk rock looking uh, hand gesture. And you're like, just like, man, Borgnine's metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He gives that devil sign or that. Yeah. The, the horns sign. And yeah. Yeah. It's, 
yeah, it's interesting. Just uh, this the aesthetics of this movie. I, I really like the, I really like these like kind of like sat- satanic horror movies from the seventies because they're just like really creepy. Um, you have like, I think there's some other ones that I was wanting to you know see more of them. I know there's like Race with the Devil. I think is one. Um, of course, you have like Rosemary's Baby, but that's kind of like late sixties. You have The Exorcist. You, you know, you have but but The Exorcist is more is more of a possession movie. And it's like kind of more with the Catholic Church, where as these movies, these satanic movies, they deal they deal more with like the satanic cults and things like that, which I, I kind of like that a little better. It's a little more sinister, I guess. But uh, I always like movies that have more of a physical threat to them. I, I don't know. I think for me, that's I, I just like that a little bit better. But uh, no, this was the first time uh, watching it. You know, and preparing for this episode, I had known about the movie for a few years now. And uh, I picked up the Blu-ray a little while ago, but I just had never sat down and watched it. Um, and then I saw it popped on Amazon Prime, so I just watched it on there. But yeah, I, mean, I was glad I watched it. Um, this is a really, really. Co- I mean, I liked it. I thought it was a really creepy movie. Like you said, there's definitely some issues with the story, kind of like some plot holes. There's things that that aren't quite clear. Um, but I think that this moved along at a pretty good pace. I don't think there was any parts where it like lulled or anything like that. I didn't, I didn't think so anyway. No, um, I agree with you. There was always something going on. Um, so, so if, if one of the things that I took away from, from these recent rewatches is these little things all kind of stuck with me afterwards. So for example, all of these people are made out of wax, the, the minions that's, that's, and that's from those waxen images that you, you got to see briefly, back in the 1680 time. And then later on it's used when um, they're purifying uh, Mark Preston, which uh, that's one of my favorite things used in the holy, the unholy mass is the waters of the holy waters of forgetfulness. (laughs) 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 I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) But um, so, so I thought that, you know, that was, that was pretty neat. But then later on when I saw phantasm, and you see them stick those little Jawa-looking people. That same kind of putrid yellow stuff comes out at them. And, I, you know, it's just it, it instantly watching this made me think of that later on. And then there's that cool scene before um, we ever see any of the other Satanists. We see uh, Mark Preston, Shatner's character, talking to Borg Nines, and they have this this this. They're going to a challenge to each other, my faith against your faith. And, and the line, which, you know, he says, he says, my faith against yours. And then it made me think about what William Mason says in Salem's lot, to, you know, and he's like, oh, yeah. I'll preach, you know, your faith against his, you know, just really, I don't know why. I don't know if those things happened and people picked up on them and tried to use them or if it was just coincidental, but those are some big things that have, have stuck out, you know, from me. I also saw something right now in this, this last watch that I had never noticed before. And it's the scene where Julie and Tom have, uh, basically tackled the John Travolta character and she shows up with a convenient thing of rope here, Tom, tie him up. And then she looks into his black eyes and that's when she kind of gets sucked in and we see that whole flashback scene. 
what I never noticed before is at one point when they're when when Borgdon's going around or Corbus is going around saying, was it thee who took the book? The camera passes by and she's sitting on the stairwell like she's there. Now, she's in her standard regular clothes, but it's like she's been sucked into that. And I never noticed that before. And I thought that was kind of a cool thing because then she pulls back at the end and she's screaming and everything's back to the way it was. But did you ever, did you notice that? Yeah, I did. I didn't really put much thought into it. I guess I just thought that she was like, maybe had some kind of like psychic ability or something. And she was able, somehow she was able to kind of see this vision from the past. And she was just kind of witnessing things as they unfolded in the past, but she was kind of there she was there in the scene, but she was just kind of watching it happen, like, like kind of like a film or whatever. Yeah. But she, she just like mentally in her mind, she was like back in that time and place. I thought that was a cool touch, though. I Definitely. did, too. And like I said, I, I've probably seen this movie 10 or 12 times and I never noticed it. Uh, and it kind of harkens back to when we first see Tom and Julie and Dr. Sam and and she's doing which, again, I, I, I hits out to me. It screamed scenes from Scanner. Uh, scanners, I mean, where they are got her hooked up and she's trying to do things and they're showing her how she can control her, you know, breathing and everything and how they've almost been able to figure out the, the brain pattern that controls ESP. So, yeah, I think you're exactly right is that she had this power and maybe when she finally met something like like these minions, these wax minions, that it was able to jump and suck her in and she was in the scene. I just thought that was just a just a brilliant touch. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, if you don't mind, one of the things I, I, I really liked about this movie too, was, uh, the cars, mm. uh, and especially the, the sheriff's car. There was, uh, it's a, uh, a Dodge super B and I believe it's a 1969 super B because it has the two intakes on the outside of the hood. And then I think in 70, they brought them together, which is kind of the one you see more prevalent, like with the yellow paint and the Super B on the back of it. But I was like, damn, that's that's a badass car for a sheriff to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and then that great station wagon. I don't know if, if your parents ever had a station wagon, but mine did. And, you know, traveling in that thing, it was, uh, I mean, you could spread out and you know, lay in the back or whatnot. So just. It brought a lot of 70s uh, feel to me. Um, also, in the 70s, as a kid, I lived um, pretty close to an abandoned World War II era um, army base. And we used to go back there as kids and we'd ride our bikes and stuff. And every once in a while, you'd see a pentagram and hail Satan or something sprayed on it, you know. And our parents would tell us that those were Satanists. So, this movie to come out in 75, it was right in, you know, what was going on in some of the different uh, places in the country. So it, it, it really hit a, uh, it really hit a nerve, you know, and like you said, a couple of other movies have come out around that, that made it feel the same way. Uh, what was that Roger Corman film about like werewolf cyclists or something? Like oh yeah. Werewolf on wheel. Werewolf yeah. on wheels. Yeah, I got a big Satan feeling from that one, too, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I actually watched that one earlier this year. Yeah, it was interesting because I went into it expecting a, a werewolf movie, but it was more of like a, you know, like a 70s, like kind of Satan exploitation type movie. Yeah. I thought it was, it's like, wow. Yeah. Uh, it was I, interesting, I've, yeah. 
I've only seen it once, but I remember really enjoying it, you know? Uh, but so there was, there were a lot of those, those good things, uh, those good, uh, showings, I guess I would say of, of Satanism. Um, I wonder if it's still as prevalent as it is today as it was back then, or if it was just kind of a passing fad and, you know, are you talking about like Satanism? Yeah. Well, I know that, uh, I mean, you know, the church of Satan actually exists, even though mm-hmm. Anton LaVey's passed away, but you know, it's like, a, I guess it's, I, I don't know if it's actually like a religious organization, if they have like that kind of status, but it, it's an organization that exists. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of interesting, but, uh, I don't think that they believe in a literal Satan. I think it's more about, um, it's kind of more about you are your own God kind of thing. And, and uh, okay. just kind of like relying on yourself, not relying on on like a god or something like that to help you. And it's also just kind of like talking about like they they believe in like uh, following your natural instincts and uh, oh, I mean okay. kind of thing. Like as long as you don't hurt anybody, you can pretty much do what you want. Like they they still don't believe in like I don't think they practice sacrifices or anything like that. As far as like the actual Church of Satan, they don't. But uh, you know there might be some kind of out there like Satan worshipers that actually worship the uh, like Lucifer or whatever they may, you know, there may be some, something like that where they <clears throat> just like there's offshoots of any religion, you know, there's mm-hmm. uh, gotta have the dark to have the light. There's ext- extreme. Yeah. There's, there's extremists in any branch or any, and in, in any religion probably. So, um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I know what you mean about, you know, kind of like uh, those, abandoned places that always like were intriguing as a kid, but they also had a sense of danger because yeah, cause you, you see that graffiti there and then it makes you wonder like, okay, who are these people leaving this graffiti and what have they been doing here? You know, cause as a kid, you always go there during the day. You don't really go there at night. You're, you know, I'm, I wasn't brave enough to actually go there at night or anything like that, but it's probably a good thing. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, that, that kind of lent a uh, kind of an air of, of, uh, I don't know, just kind of like this dread, you know, with this abandoned ghost town. And I just thought that was a really cool setting, though. Yeah, I did, too. I did, too. And can we talk about how Shatner could not do a movie without taking his shirt off? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite things is that early on when uh, when his the wax image of his dad shows up, He's on the ground. Uh, I think it's actually, oh yeah, it's act- after his dad melts and then he's going to get in the truck and there's a, a voodoo doll and he hears his mom screaming and John screaming and he runs back in. I thought this was a great scene. He opens the door and I mean, he hasn't been gone a minute. The whole place is wrecked and John is hung upside down, bloody and crying and the mom's gone. And he does this thing where he cuts him down and he's holding John and he does Corpus like, <laughs> like a con. <laughs> oh yeah. But you know, the funny thing, again, I don't, I don't like to tear a movie apart. Um, but I, it, I did realize as soon as he finishes uh, talking to John and he literally tells him, okay, I'm going to go. And when, when Dr. Sh- you know, when, when, when I get back, you know, we'll you know, just protect the book. And when he walks outside, it's completely dry. There's no standing water and it's daylight. And it's like, wait, wait a minute. Wasn't there just a huge torrential rain that, that flooded out a couple of people, you know, but uh, just a little thing. It just, you know, stuck out in my head. 
you know, at the end, you know, my wife, she, she's not into horror at all. So she always like goes into another room when I'm watching stuff, but <laughs> she, she, of course, yeah, she walks through at the very end whenever everybody's melting. I'm like, Oh, great. <laughs> you know, but, but she, but it's like, she, she's all the shot where of Corvus as he's like the goat guy, but he's kind of melting and he's got that, oh, that, that eye one eye out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's like, Oh, that looks ridiculous. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, uh I don't know, it's, it, but it was still it was still a great ending. I mean, you you know, it's, the movie's called Devil's Rain, so you know you have to have that feature. Yeah, yeah, you gotta have that in a you know that's got to be the build up scene, you know. And right, I th- I don't think they they did disappoint. So I, I I know that this doesn't have a great reputation among critics and stuff. And I guess if you look at it from that standpoint, I guess I could see it. You know, the story is is a little hard to follow at times i think but overall this is a really cool movie if if you like 70s horror especially if you're if you're into like you know if you, if you like the whole if you like that subgenre of like satanic 70s stuff you know people will love this movie i think if and i think it's one that people should definitely check out um if nothing else for the you know the melting scene at the end Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you're right. That and you've got plenty of time to watch it too, because it, like I said, it lasts for almost ten minutes. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I read a, a very cool article uh, on the Den of Geek about this movie, and uh, I can't remember. I should have written it down, but someone called it the um, the ultimate cult film because it's a movie that has a guy, Levey who has a cult and the movie is about a Satanist cult and the movie has become a cult favorite. And one of the stars of it, Shatner has a cult following. So it's just <laughs> cult, 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 cult. You know? Yeah. Well, speaking of that, um, I may get in trouble for saying that, but uh, John Travolta apparently got introduced to Scientology on the set of this movie. Yes. that That's the same story I read that uh, he was introduced by, um, Joan Prather, uh, who played Julie Preston, um, basically she said he was uh, like upset a lot or, or just, and she talked to him about what the Church of Scientology had done for her, and that got him interested. And then you know the rest is history, uh, which is okay. And you know another story I read about her. Now she was on a show called Eight and Eight is Enough, which lasted I don't know four or five years, and everybody watched it. Um, but like five years ago, maybe. Uh, she was driving in LA and went around some cones that the police had set up and an officer came over and was like trying to talk to her and she started pulling away and it caught his uh, watch on her car and she ended up dragging him until other police officers could stop her and they ended up you know, arresting her for assault. He, the cop was okay eventually, uh, but it was just, it's like really weird. And I, I was like, man, what, what, what are you doing? You know? Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> well, I just want to tell anybody who wants to watch it to, to just give it one watch. We're not saying it's a great movie. We're not saying it's the, the best film ever, but it has some solid performances uh, by, by Shatner, um, by uh, obviously Ernest Borgnine, um, and it's got some cool effects too. So, you know, give it an hour and a half. Uh, I mean, it's got like, have you ever seen big bad mama? 
uh, another no. Corman movie. So this uh. is kind of like a big bad mama mini reunion because Shatner, Scarrett, and Prather were all in that film together. So you know, if you like that, you know, watch this one. But just get, definitely give it a, a check. It's if you got Amazon Prime, it's free. You know, pop you some popcorn and just sit down and and enjoy the fun. There's plenty of these and thous for you to <laughs> enjoy. Oh yeah, and uh, that kind of reminds me. Uh, you know, thinking about Ernest Borgnine as like a, a religious cult leader. There's another movie where he kind of portrays a similar. He, he's not like a bad guy in this other movie, but he he's like this uh, religious sect leader. So it, it's it kind of similar, but it's called. Uh, Oh geez, now I'm gonna forget the name of it. It's a Wes Craven movie. I'm Bad dreams. Oh, uh, Deadly Blessing. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, he plays. Uh, he plays like a. They're they're almost like Amish or something, something like that. But he plays like the leader of them, and so I thought that that was kind of an interesting parallel. Like he plays, a, not a sim. I wouldn't say a similar character, but he plays like a religious leader in that one, which. To me, it's it's kind of like it was kind of a similar thing, like with some of the speeches that he made in both movies. But uh, oh, that's cool. But uh, yeah, so uh, so Jamie, I want to I want to thank you for coming on our show. Uh, this has been a blast to talk to you about the Devil's Reign. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to tell any listeners out there that may not know who you are, who you are, and what you do, and uh, about your podcast. Well, I want to tell you that it was my absolute honor. I love this film, and thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk about it. Um, so I have a show of my own in the SIP uh, network with uh, with you, my brother, and uh, Dave, and several other guys. Uh, I do a show called Fave Five from Fans, where each episode I invite a different friend that we share a common interest in, be it movies, TVs, toys, or you know, really whatever, kind of a uh, a social venn diagram of different things and then we make our lists separate from each other sit down and go backwards to five four three two and one it's a show about favorites it's not about bests or about most highest rated so it's really fun and we get to do different things each episode so uh, if you want to look out for me i am uh my website is fave five from fans.com i'm on twitter at fave the number five from fans and you can also search for fave five from fans on all the apple google uh podcasts podbean spotify and now on iHeartRadio. yeah yeah so uh that's that's awesome yeah i want to say like me and dave jumped on an episode with jamie not too long ago we talked about our favorite 80s killer slashers slashers not, yeah yeah great one man i really enjoyed that and for us we had was it was no crossover right i i think me and dave might have a little but, bit but, but like very for one, few. Yeah. yeah that's and that's what i love about this show because you don't talk about the the biggest and the baddest it's like you know for us to all get together like that and have not a lot of crossover that was a lot of fun and i can't wait to do the next one yeah, definitely. So, yeah, like like Jamie said, we're all on the SIP network. That's slightly regular podcast network. And uh, there's just a bunch of uh, really cool shows. Uh, and it's, it's SIPnetwork.us, right, Jamie? Is that yes. the website? Yeah. Yep. So you go there, and uh, you can see you know information about all the different podcasts on there on within the network. And you got everything from uh, horror movie talk to inspiration to uh, Cold War uh, to post-apocalyptic you know it's all kinds of stuff so it's, it's a really cool network we're really glad i'm really you know glad to be a part of it um 
and really appreciative too. So um, if you want to keep up with what's going on with me and Dave, uh, I am at Black Cat Podcast on Twitter. On Instagram, I'm at Andy Esri. And uh, Dave, he is at Dave underscore Phantom on Twitter. And uh, so he's got he's got a lot of things in the pipe, you know, come up. He's always involved in like a million different podcasts. But yeah. uh, so so it's always exciting. There's always something new going on with him. So that's really cool. But uh, yeah, so definitely uh, check out all those. And you've been listening to the World of Horror.